Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Alamogordo. More information about First Baptist Church can be found at www.fbcalamo.com. You can take a seat, and as our kids head back to Kids Church, I'm going to invite you to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 5. We're going to pick up in verse 3 and read through the end of the chapter. Now, um, you know, as going through books of the Bible the way that we do here, at least most of the time, the, the way that I, that I had to preach through um, books of the Bible, um, it, it really... It causes us to, to walk through some topics that I probably would not have just picked out of thin air. So, for instance, this morning, uh, we're talking about the, the way that Ephesus took care of widows within their church. Um, now, now we, we, love, we love our widows. We, we want to make sure they're cared for. But like, if I was to pick like, my top ten topics of things I'm going to preach on, this wouldn't fall into that, into that category. Um, and yet, if, if we're going to preach the the full counsel of the Word of God, it, it forces us to go into uh, some of these topics that, that would not be on my you know, top 10 list of, uh, of things to preach on. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look really at, at two, two pieces to this passage of, of how this church in Ephesus in the first century dealt with uh, widows in their uh, in their assembly, in their church, how, how they ministered to them. And then from there, what, what I'm going to do at the end is kind of uh, take us through a couple of, of applications that I think uh, we can glean from the text without, without leaving it too far behind. But I think there are some implications here that go well beyond simply just the, the call to take care of, of widows. And so we'll get to that as well. I'm so glad that you're here this morning. I'm excited to dive into God's word with you. Will you stand as we read 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 3 through 16? The word of the Lord says this, Support widows who are genuinely in need. But if any widow has children or grandchildren, let them learn to practice godliness toward their own family first and to repay their parents, for this pleases God. The widow who is truly in need and left all alone has put her hope in God and continues night and day in her petitions and prayers. However, she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command this also so that they will be above reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his own family, especially for his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. No widow is to be enrolled on the list for support unless she is at least 60 years old, has been the wife of one husband, and is well known for good works, that is, if she has brought up children, shown hospitality, washed the saints' feet, helped the afflicted, and devoted herself to every good work. But refuse to enroll younger widows, for when they are drawn away from Christ by desire, they want to marry, and will therefore receive condemnation because they have renounced their original pledge. At the same time, they also learn to be idle. Going from house to house, they are not only idle, but are also gossips and busybodies saying things they shouldn't say. Therefore, I want younger women to marry, have children, manage their households, and give the adversary no opportunity to accuse us. For some have already turned away to follow Satan. If any believing woman has widows in her family, let her help them. Let the church not be burdened so that it can help widows in genuine need. All right, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the opportunity to gather together, to sit under your word. And we pray that you will 
open our hearts and our minds to hear what you'd have us to hear this morning. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you. You can have a seat. Um, now, again, you, you can tell, like, this is, this is not, Paul kind of took a, I think, a, a diversion. So he's talked a lot about false teachers. Um, he's talked about a lot about the, the need for uh, qualified uh, men to serve in the, in the roles of elder and in the, in the roles of deacon. Um, and, and then he comes to, to this passage. Now, there are a couple of things to keep in mind here. Keep, remember that Paul is writing to a specific church in a specific location at a specific time in history. Okay, so Paul is writing this to Timothy, who's serving as a pastor and elder in the, the church in Ephesus in the first century. And so there are some aspects to what he's writing that, that were addressed to, to meet specific needs or to clarify certain questions within that context. And so the question for us then is to, to understand, okay, what is Paul saying that was um, for that church at that time only? And what's he saying that, that really was meant for um, all people at all times? It's, it's a question in, in theological circles. We'll, we'll say it's the question of, uh, is this passage descriptive? Meaning, is it describing something that, that, that happened and, and Paul's addressing just certain needs within that uh, local context? Or is it prescriptive, meaning it's for all people for all time? Now, obviously, the, the specific question that, that Paul's addressing is, is, is uh, peculiar to this local context. He's, uh, Paul, Timothy is wrestling with some of these issues as a pastor. And Paul, as an older and wiser man, as, as a mentor for Timothy, is helping Timothy to walk through to navigate some of these issues within his church. But I certainly think there are principles that can be gleaned uh, that are for all churches at all times, all believers at all times, all right? So, uh, right off the bat here, in verses 3 through 8, we are given a command. Okay? Uh, Paul gives Timothy a specific command, and that is that, that Timothy and the church in Ephesus are to care for widows. Okay? It's a specific group of people that, that he's dealing with. Now, this, it's important to remember, it's been a couple of weeks since we've been in 1 Timothy with our 120th anniversary last week. So, so I think it's helpful for us to back up and to, to start in, in verse 1, where, where Paul simply says this, Do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and the younger women as sisters with all purity. So Paul starts off this section, this what we have in, in our Bibles now as chapter 5 of 1 Timothy, by reminding Timothy that the church is really supposed to operate as a family and are, take, and are to take care of one another as members of a family. And so everything that, that Paul's going to talk about uh, from this point, really through the, the first part of chapter 6, is going to be within this context of thinking of the local church as a family and us treating one another as family. And Paul obviously has a special place in his heart here for widows. There's obviously a, a special uh, need in this church in Ephesus to care for widows. But not just that, we, we see God's heart for widows really throughout the entire Bible. And I, I think in your notes there under both, and I've just listed these passages, I haven't, um, I've not put the full text in there, but uh, I wanted you to at least know where to find these. Okay, so you can follow along uh, with me if you really uh, want to have a Bible drill and want to turn all over the place. Um, 
be my guest. If you, if you trust that I'm actually reading what the word of the Lord says, you can just listen, okay? Um, so, so Exodus 20, 12. We know this. This is in the Ten Commandments. And this is uh, God commanding us, honor your father and your mother so that you may have a, lo- a long life in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Well, now the question might be here, well, what does that have to do with widows? Well, there, there comes a time in our lives where we're no longer expected to obey our parents, right? There, there comes a time in my mom, like my mom can't tell me to go clean my room now. My wife can't, my mom can't, okay? <laughs> um, but, but I still honor her. And so the, this command to honor your parents doesn't go away just when you move out of the house and get married. In fact, I would even argue that this, this command to honor your parents extends even beyond their lifetime. Because you can honor your parents' life, you can honor their legacy, you can honor the name, in many cases, that they've left for you. So that's where this whole idea of taking care of those um, who've gone before us comes from. Is it starts in Exodus 12. In Exodus 22, verses 22 and 23, the Lord commands the children of Israel and says, You must not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you do mistreat them, they will no doubt cry to me, and I will certainly hear their cry. Now, now here we have another um, group that's added into this, and that's orphans. You must not mistreat a widow or a fatherless child. God's here highlighting two of the most uh, vulnerable people within the, uh, the society and the children of Israel. And saying, don't mistreat those who are vulnerable. In Acts chapter 6, we, we looked at this as we, uh, when we were in 1 Timothy 3, talking about the office of deacon. This is where we kind of see the, the front runners of what become the office of deacon. Even though that, that word's not used here in, in Acts 6 to describe them, uh, we see men who are set aside for the purpose of serving to meet a need within this church in Jerusalem. And this is what they were dealing with. Luke writes, In those days, as the disciples were increasing in number, there arose a complaint by the Hellenistic Jews against the Hebraic Jews that their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution. The twelve summoned the whole company of the disciples and said, It would not be right for us to give up preaching the word of God to wait on tables. So brothers and sisters, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom we can appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole company, so they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a convert from Antioch. They had them stand before the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. And so we see in, in Jerusalem these, these first men who were set aside that, that would uh, kind of become what we know now as the office of deacon were appointed to take care of widows and specifically widows who were being overlooked in, in daily distribution of food that they were taking care of. And so we see through all that that God has a very special place in his heart for widows. He has a special place in his heart for those who are vulnerable And in the case of this church in Ephesus, um, some of these women were obviously not being taken care of. Some were being led astray by false teachers, which we'll talk about here in just a sec. 
So right off the bat here, Paul commands in verse 3 that, that support uh, should be given to widows who are genuinely in need. Um, now, it's, it's interesting that Paul limits this to, um, to, to those women who, who he would say really are, as he would say, uh, maybe your Bible says, who truly are widows. In other words, he's talking here about a, a group of women who have absolutely no family whatsoever to take care of them. In verse 4, he says, But if any widow has children or grandchildren, let them learn to practice godliness toward their own family first and to repay their parents. And that word parents could really just mean um, ancestors or, or forebears, those who have come before us in our family. Not, not just parents, but certainly extended grandparents, perhaps even uncles and aunts. Paul starts off and says we want to reserve this support for those who have no family. Why? Well, a couple of reasons. Because for one, if, if you have some members of your family that are widows uh, who are in need of care, the, the Bible would say God has made them a part of your family for a purpose. And it's, it's ultimately, uh, first and foremost, our responsibility as members of the family that God has placed us in to take care of the members of our family that God's given to us. And another reason, I think, is, is simply really practical. And what we see here is that the church, uh, local churches, have always had limited resources. We've, we've never operated out of an unlimited abundance of wealth within, within a local church. And so Paul's saying you want to be good stewards of that, take care of the needs that are actually there, ra- rather than just every, every single need that could possibly come up. Again, the, the command to... For family members to take care of their own family goes back to Exodus 20.12. Honor your father and mother so that you may have a long life in the land the Lord your God is giving you. In, in Ephesians 6, Paul will say this is the first command that was, given a, that was given with a promise. Honor your father and mother that it may go well with you. We honor God, but when we honor those that, that God has placed in our lives. And in fact, Paul says this is so important then in verse 12, he says that those who, um, uh, excuse me, in verse 8, he says that those who don't provide for their own family, especially for those in their own household, have denied the faith, and anyone who does that is worse than an unbeliever. So essentially what Paul's saying here is, look, even pagans take care of their own family members. Even those who want nothing to do with God understand this. And so if if we as believers refuse that, if we we, uh, don't meet our responsibility to take care of those family members that God's given to us, we are not only denying the faith, not only terrible children and grandchildren, but ultimately we're living worse than pagans. One of the interesting things in Jesus' ministry, you know, Jesus was not afraid to call out um, religious leaders for their ridiculousness. And one of the criticisms that he had for uh, the Pharisees is that they were telling people that if they would, uh, that if the money they had set aside to take care of their parents, if, if they just gave that to the church, they were released from this responsibility to, or if they gave it to the synagogue, they were released from their responsibility to take care of their family members. So Jesus actually addresses this in Matthew 15. For God said, honor your father and mother, and whoever speaks evil of father or mother must be put to death. Hey, parents, that's a really cool verse right there, by the way. I didn't, Jesus said it. I'm, I'm just saying. I'm, 
All right, so this is what God said. Honor your father and mother. Whoever dishonors or whoever speaks evil of father and mother must be put to death. But you say, Jesus speaking to the religious leaders, whoever tells his father or mother, whatever benefit you might have have received from me is a gift committed to the temple. He does not have to honor his father and mother. In this way, you have nullified the word of God because of your tradition. So these guys were saying, hey, you know, instead of of taking, you've got how much set aside for your parents? Well, that's awesome. You know, you should really give that to the church. And, and if you do so, you're released from that commitment to take care of your family. Now, now really quickly, this is not an either or. I think what we see at work here is, is what Jesus would say is a both and. You're, you're called to take care of your own family. That doesn't release you from the obligation to support the mission and the ministry of the church through your financial gifts. But supporting the missions and ministry of, of the local church with, your, with financial giving doesn't release you from the opportunity or from the uh, responsibility to take care of your own family either. And in Titus 1.16, we'll be in Titus in the spring, uh, of these false teachers, these folks who are leading people astray, Paul says this. He says, they claim to know God, but they deny him by their works. They're detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good work. So Paul's saying these people claim to love me. They claim to follow me with their lips, but their actions don't support what they say. Let us be people whose actions and whose words align. It won't ever happen perfectly, right? That's why I say, you know, if, uh, if, for folks who criticize the local church and say, well, it's, a, it's full of hypocrites, that's why I'm always going to say, yes, you're right, Come join us. You'll fit right in. Because this is a place, as I, as I told the Men of Honor uh, conference yesterday, you, you know, the, the thing about churches is that they're filled with people who actually need to be there. Like coming in to this place is, is an admission on our part. Listen, I don't have my life altogether. I'm relying on God's grace and his mercy. And in the case of widows, they were relying on the church to meet needs that they could not meet for themselves. Now, now keep in mind, in the first century, um, there were no 401k retirement plans. There was no Social Security. There was no Medicare. Oftentimes, women who were widowed would have been seen as outcasts by society. In fact, in many cases, uh, younger widows had no or saw no other opportunity for themselves other than to become prostitutes to try to make some kind of living for themselves and what other kid what other children that they had so paul saying looking at this church that has that has widows in ephesus and saying there is a better way to to take care of these women who are not able to take care for themselves and so but he lays out some uh requirements and we see that uh really in this, in this first little section and then some more conditions in the second bit. Um, so she has no, uh, no other family to take care of her. Verse 5, he refers to these women who have uh, who's left all alone and has put her hope in God, continues night and day in her petitions and prayers. So not only is she all alone, but she's, she's seeking after the Lord. This reminded me of a story in Luke chapter 2. 
of a prophetess by the name of Anna. Luke chapter 2, right after Jesus is born, um, on the eighth day, uh, Mary and Joseph take him to the temple to be circumcised. And this is the scene that we have here. We're told about, uh, there was also a prophetess, Anna, a daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was well along in years, having lived with her husband seven years after after her marriage, and was a widow for 84 years. She did not leave the temple, serving God night and day with fasting and prayer. Now, the way this is worded is a little strange, but, but kind of the, uh, the commentators that I read said that it's kind of agreed that she was married, and, and she was married for seven years, and then she was a widow, and at this point in her life, she's 84 years old, married as a young girl, and, and in her, uh, perhaps even as early as her early 20s, she was widowed, and, and is now 84, has been a widow uh, up until her 84th year. I'm told that she spent night and day in the temple serving God, petitioning and praying. So we have a command. We're to care for widows. And then we have some conditions, which we see in verses 9 through 16. Um, we're told that, that in order to be enrolled in this list, so, so there's obviously some list of widows. Now, the question is, is this a, a list of those who receive support from the church? Or is this almost some sort of like ministry team of widows who are serving in the church, maybe much like Anna was? And, and the simple uh, answer to that is we don't really know. Depending on who you read, they'll come down on either side, but, but they'll say it's possible it's, it's either one. Um, I'm going to lean a little bit more towards the latter. That This was a list of, of women who are not just receiving support from the church, but were in turn uh, ministering, whether that was uh, like an official uh, order of widows or, or just kind of an, an unofficial, um, here, here are the, the widows that we have who are serving uh, Christ by serving our church. And, and he lays out some requirements, much like he did for elders and for deacons. At least 60 years old. In the first century, that would have been retirement age. The age where it was no longer um, common for uh, men and women to work. Secondly, uh, he says that, that she's being enrolled if she's been faithful to her husband. What's interesting is the word that's used there has been the wife of one husband. Is really the same language that Paul used for elders and for deacons. A husband of one wife. And, and here he's saying a wife of one husband. A, a woman who set an example in her marriage. And then he said that she's known for good works. And he gives us a list of five things that, that, that he has in mind here for what it looks like to have been known for good works. And she has raised children. That she has shown Hospitality. That she has washed the saints' feet. Now those last two uh, are connected. Showing hospitality and washing saints' feet. Keep in mind that in the first century, at this point in, in the Roman Empire, um, Christians are under heavy persecution. And oftentimes you'll have believers who are, who are literally fleeing for their lives. And as they did so, as they fled their homes, um, running away from persecution... They relied on the hospitality and the care of other believers. So while they're running, they would stay in homes of other believers. And before 
you had closed-toed shoes. Folks wore sandals everywhere on dirty, on, on dirt roads. Feet got nasty. Part of showing hospitality when someone would come into your, your home was to wash their feet. So really what, what Paul's getting at here in, in showing hospitality and washing the saints' feet, he's saying they've taken care of the believers. Showing hospitality to men and women of God. Number four, they, she has helped the afflicted and she's devoted herself to every good work. In other words, Paul's saying that in order to enroll these women, to put them on this list of, of those who minister within a local church, they're to have set good examples for the believers in their marriage, in their life up to this point, in the way they took care of other believers. And then Paul gives what, what may be kind of a weird, um, may at, at first seem like a weird restriction. Verse 11, he says, But refuse to enroll younger widows, for when they are drawn away from Christ by desire, they want to marry. So, so this is, obviously we, we see a little bit more insight here into this was a, this was a, a position that required a commitment. That's why Paul sets this um, this age limit of 60 years old. At that point, and certainly in the first century, um, women would have been less likely to marry again. I said they would have been at retirement age, so, so it would have been uh, very unlikely they would have been working. And Paul clarifies something here. Remember, back in, earlier in, in 1 Timothy, we saw that there was this false teaching going around that was restricting marriage. It was saying really that, that marriage is bad. And Paul is going to clarify that a little bit further here. He says, I Refuse to enroll younger widows, for when they are drawn away from Christ they, by desire, they want to marry, and will therefore receive condemnation because they have renounced their original pledge. We see Paul here um, speaking to the value of keeping your commitments. He's saying, I don't want these, I don't want these younger women to be enrolled because if, if they meet a nice young man and decide they want to get married, they, they, they would receive some condemnation from the other members of the church for, for announcing their commitment. We don't want to cause that strife within the church. So Paul, in verse 14, encourages them. He says, I want younger women to marry, which is, which is good. Have children, manage their households, and give the adversary no opportunity to accuse us. For some have already turned away to follow Satan. Now again, we, we keep this uh, cultural context matters, right? So in this first century church of Ephesus, there were apparently some widows who were causing issues in the church. Um, we see two major uh, problems that, or two major things that were leading to them um, causing problems. We see that in verse 13. At the same time, they learn also to be idle, going from house to house. They are not only idle, but are also gossips and busybodies saying things they shouldn't say. So in this context, you had, um, you had widows who were causing some issues, causing some strife. And this, the fact that they were allowing uh, these things to control their lives, gossip, idleness, left them especially susceptible to false teaching. Have you ever found out that um, on those moments where we're not quite as focused on the things of God as we should be, we're more easily led astray into nonsense. We actually talked about this in, in our Sunday school class this morning as we're uh, walking through 2 Timothy. 
And and in 2 Timothy 2, Paul gives this command to not um, engage in useless babble, useless talk. But instead to be focused on on the word of God. Because what we we see here, and and what we certainly see here in, in 1 Timothy 5, is that idleness, laziness, leads to all sorts of wickedness in the life of a believer. You ever, um, those of you who've raised small kids might recognize this. Like, you ever uh, have that moment where things suddenly get quiet in the house? And for, for the parent, especially of a toddler, that's a terrifying moment where, where all of a sudden you're like, wait, it's quiet. And, and, and they've gone. And they're usually up to something they shouldn't be doing, Right? You know, we, we like to laugh about that in the life of a toddler, but I'm afraid that, that we as grown-ups are probably not much better. If we're not focused on the task at hand, if we're not focused on God's word and the things that he's called us to be, we can easily be led astray to idleness, to laziness, which can lead to worse sins, to more destructive sins in our lives. And that was the case in Ephesus. And... When you add to this the element of false teachers that were prevalent within this community and this congregation, um, in 2 Timothy 3, 6, and 7, Paul addresses these false teachers. He says, For among them are those who worm their way into households and deceive gullible women, overwhelmed by sins and led astray by a variety of passions, always learning and never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. They'd find these women that were idle and say, Hey, we've... Y'all should come join us. We've got, some, we've got some really things we want to teach to you. And they, were, they were teaching false things, leading them astray. All right, so let's wrap up. What, what on earth do we do with all this? Okay, so there's a first, first century context dealing with, um, dealing with widows. What does that have to do for us? Well, the, the conclusion, and I think the, the overarching conclusion that we would say is simply it's the local church has a responsibility to widows. We still have widows in our lives in our communities in our churches until jesus comes back as as long as uh, physical death is a reality in our world we will have widows and in verse 16 you know we talk often about uh one of the criticisms southern baptists have have received is that we don't believe women can be pastors or, or deacons People, you know, our culture who doesn't understand the, the biblical um, framework, the biblical foundation for that belief, um, will look at us and say, well, that's sexist. You know, how dare you demean women in such a way? And I would say, no, the, the Bible has great respect for women. And, and even encourages women to be involved in ministry. We see it here in this, uh, in this list of widows. And if you look at 16, there's a specific calling that God's placed on women in the church. And that's this. If any believing woman has widows in her family, let her help them. Let the church not be burdened so that it can help widows in genuine need. Here Paul's calling on on, on women to take care of those widows in your family. We're reminded here, I think, of of Acts chapter 9. We're told about this woman in Joppa named Tabitha. And the way uh, Luke describes her in Acts 9, it says she was always doing good works and acts of charity. About that time she became sick and died. 
And after washing her, they placed her in a room upstairs. And since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples heard that Peter was there and sent two men to him who urged him, don't delay in coming with us. Peter got up and went with them. And listen to this. When he arrived, they led him to the room upstairs. And all the widows approached him, weeping and showing him the robes and clothes that Dorcas, Tabitha, had made while she was with them. Here we're given an example of a, of a woman who died. And, and later in this passage, Paul raises, or Peter raises her back to life. But, but here in this passage, we, we see the way she took care of women in the church. James 1.27, as I said, God has a special place in his heart for widows. We didn't address orphans much because they weren't in the passage before us. But James 1.27 will tell us this. Pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this. To look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. All right, so a couple application points for us. We see here in this passage the value of being connected to a local church where we operate as a family. Older men as fathers, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, as Paul says in chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. We talk a lot about the church being the body of Christ, where where each of us has a unique role to fill, and certainly that's biblical. We see that in, in Romans chapter 12. What we see here happening in in 1 Timothy 5 is the church operating not just as a body, but as a family, caring for one another. So maybe you're here today and you're, you're, you're an attender here at First Baptist Church. You've not yet moved to membership. I would invite you to join the family of First Baptist Church where we seek to meet needs within our lives. I know a lot of you are are here with the military, meaning you're away from physical family, away from your biological family. Maybe some of you are here and you've been part of Alamogordo for a long time. Your your family's no longer here. The kids have grown up and moved away. Parents have have passed on or you're here for a job. The, The church provides a family for us. It was part of God's design for it. I want to invite you to move from being an attender to being a member, taking part in being a body, a part of the body of Christ known as First Baptist Church. Secondly, we, we see here a specific calling to, to care for widows. That was the, the, the deacons in, in Acts chapter 6. Those first deacons were appointed to do that. But well beyond that, we see that in in Ephesus, the entire church was taking care of those needs. You know, we as members of a local church are oftentimes uh, really good at recognizing a need and then saying, you know, somebody else should take care of that need. <laughs> hey, there's this need. Somebody really ought to do something about that. Can, can I just tell you that, that I think that the pattern of the local church, the way the Holy Spirit just might work is is that when you recognize a need, it could very well be that God's calling you to to fill that need in some way. So maybe there's someone here today who would say, you know, I I felt this calling to to help take care of some of the widows in our church. I'm not saying you've got to shell out hundreds of dollars every month. You, You know what some of our widows would really enjoy? 
It's just some time for you to go visit. We have several that are in nursing homes that, that aren't able to get to church on a regular basis. They would love somebody just to go visit with them. A couple hours a month. If you could spare that, that you, would, you would cause their heart to overflow with joy. Let's ask ourselves this morning how we can meet the needs for a vulnerable group in our church, in our community, in our world, folks that are often overlooked in the busyness of life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the the way that it brings needs to our mind that, that oftentimes we overlook. I thank you for the blessing of your body, the church that we have the opportunity to meet needs. We have the opportunity to be a part of a family who loves one another, who encourages one another, who spurs us on to love and good deeds, as the writer of Hebrews told us. That because we're part of a local church, because we're part of First Baptist Church of Alamogordo, our lives would look more and more like Jesus day in and day out as we learn to love one another, as we grow together, and as we serve one another. We, we know we do all that imperfectly, so would you show us through your word, through your, the leading of the Holy Spirit, how we can be men and women growing together as part of a local church. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Alamogordo. We are located at 1100 Michigan Avenue in Alamogordo, New Mexico. We meet on Sundays for small groups at 9 a.m. and worship at 1030. If you have more questions, please email office at fbcalamo.com or call 575-437-5510. Thank you for listening and may God bless you this week.